Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. And on tonight's show, we talk to the COO of that bullet performance stock, Zipco, Peter Gray. And the interview indicates that the company's top brass is very confident about the future of the business. We also put the following stocks under the microscope. Altium, Unity Group, and uh, a company called Archtis, AR9 is a ticker code, with Adam Dawes and Julia Lee. Also, we look at uh, whether it's time to buy JB Hi-Fi and Kogan.com. And then Paul Rickard sizes up Newix, has it sold off enough to become a buyer? That's the show, so let's kick off with Julia Lee from Bourbon Invest. Welcome to the program, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. So, Julia, I sent you over a number of stocks that I was interested in, and uh, I noticed that Sure and Partners actually gave Altium a thumbs up. I, su- I suspect you actually said the same last week, didn't you? Yeah, I think there are a number of stocks that are looking interesting from a valuation point of view, um, and the fact that they're probably going to see an uplift in terms of earnings post-COVID-19. And one of those stocks is Altium. The other one I like is CSL. I think both of these companies have been impacted negatively during COVID-19. And as things return slowly back to normal, they should uh, benefit from the post-COVID-19 environment. There is a risk that we could see one more earnings downgrade coming out of Altium, but at these type of prices, um, I'm willing to start accumulating the stock uh, slowly. And it's actually been doing quite well over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been noticing that. Now, just for the sake of the viewers who don't know much about Altium, I always remember them because you know, I think it was Roger Montgomery many years ago talked about this little, you know, what's that board inside a computer? The printed electric circuit board. Yeah, the circuit <laughs> board, yeah. And I thought, like, how in the hell can Australians do something that you expect you know, someone in Taiwan or China or Vietnam to do, but we do it here and do it pretty successfully. Absolutely. Um, The software for the PCVs or the printed circuit boards is something that Altium does. And I think what's interesting here is that we are seeing some developments where it is moving to cloud. And the the interesting part of that and the exciting part of that is that it, it puts everything in the cloud so that at some point down the track, when you're looking at manufacturing the printed uh, circuit boards, then you can sort of be looking at the whole process rather than bits and pieces at one time. So I think it's an interesting uh, move from potentially later down the, the track, just vertically integrating the process. Um, so look, it has been impacted by COVID-19, but as the world normalises, you know, we're, we're not going to be any less reliant on technology. No, that's right, for sure. So Julie, I'll ask you to have a look at a company called Archtis or AR9. What's your take on this company? Um, Pete, I had a look at this one and look, some of the metrics are quite interesting. The last results, we saw revenue increasing by more than 400%. But having said that, you know, revenue sort of grew to just over $1 million. So it is a very small company with a market capitalization of $61 million. And unfortunately, the share price hasn't been moving in the right direction. I think when you are playing in this area, it can be quite difficult to compete against some of the more well-capitalized larger companies in this area. 
area. So I guess I'd want to keep this on my watch list. I'd be willing to put a little bit of play money in here, but I just want to see that those type of metrics where it is seeing revenue growing by more than 400% continue on and it's not just a once-off. So look, it is a small company, revenue of around about $1 million in its last result or just over 1 mil and a market cap of $61 million. And you know me, I'd like to see the share price moving upwards first. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, um, before we go, um, a couple of companies that you know, did really well during the lockdown phase, and I know you're very much a reopening investor right now. What do you think of a company like Kogan that's copped a real battering lately? Is, is it going to be a price yeah. where, where they've, they've overreacted in the sell-off for Kogan? I think it's just a matter of timing for me when I look at a company like Kogan. Um, it's been sold off heavily because of its last uh, announcement where it looks like it's going to have to be spending and investing a lot more money to be able to find growth and investors in the market didn't like that. For me, it's a question of what's going to grow well over the next 12 to 18 months. And um, I think one of the most exciting areas for me has been uh, the materials as well as the financial space. We've seen banks, financial sector being actually the best performing in 2021 so far, up by about 15%. But the other area is the material sector. We've seen iron ore prices hitting a record high in China today, which is quite exciting, which means that uh, companies like BHP, Fortescue are making a lot of money. One though, Pete, that the market seems to have ignored is Deterra. Um, DRR, I think is the code there. And this is a a, a spin-off from um, Iluca where Deterra looks at mining royalties, but it gets a share of the production. So as iron ore prices move up, which is, has a huge exposure through BHP, um, it, it benefits. So that would be one, I think, to watch over the next couple of weeks, given that we saw Fortescue up by almost 5% today, but we actually saw Deterra uh, falling by around about 1%. Okay, that's an interesting one. And just one last one, um, JB Hi-Fi is on the outer as well. But historically, when it gets sold off, then you come to reporting season, it does always better than expected and it <laughs> spikes again. So is there going to be a time when you say, right, okay, that's a big enough fall for me on JB Hi-Fi, I'll get in, get in and, and buy it again? I think both of these are similar in certain aspects in that they've both benefited from the COVID-19 um, environment. And one of the questions I, last, I like to ask myself when there does seem to be a bit of a change or an inflection point is, is this, are these conditions going to last forever or will things change? And when I look at companies like, um, I guess, JB Hi-Fi, which has benefited from working from home and needing to buy computers and monitors and keyboards, I ask, well, are people going to be buying the same thing in six months' time, in one year's time? So I think what's happened is we've brought forward future demand, which means that it's going to be a lot harder to grow like it has over the last year. And this is not the case. This is not just the case for companies like JB Hi-Fi, but even some of the megatechs over in the US. So I guess the growth picture over the next 12 to 24 months might be a little bit more sluggish given that we have seen so much of that demand being brought forward to that COVID-19 phase. Instead, uh, looking at those sectors which are um, 
I guess, leverage to the economy and the uptick that we are seeing in the economy, and whether that is through the miners or the financial stocks. I think Suncorp Metway is looking quite interesting at the moment because of the strength in housing together with so many people buying cars, used new cars, as well as houses, means that the insurance part of the business is probably doing well as well. So um, I think there's lots of opportunity there, but we have seen a great rotation away from those COVID winners into the COVID losers. And I think that's going to continue over the next few months. Okay, so will we say Suncorp Metway is the Julia Lee stock of the week? <laughs> what about Deterra? I think Deterra. that's an interesting one okay. right now. We'll go for the, the sexy mining company. Great stuff. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming to the program, Julia. Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, I'm catching up with the co-founder and COO of Zip Money. Zip Money or Zip Co, Peter? Zip Co. They always get me caught out in that. I'm not going to change it. We'll, we'll leave it in the interview. Makes it more real, doesn't it? Right, there you go. <laughs> and, um, but of course, there's questions now. You might be changing your name to QuadPay. Was that just scurrilous journalist stuff? Yeah, I think there was some uh, interesting speculation in the media about that. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, the quarter pay business has some strong momentum, but it's a uh, very unlikely course of events. Because yeah. some, some Australian businesses, when they do list on US stock markets, do change their name. I think Avita's now become RCL or something like that. If you ever thought about listing, would a name changed to the well-known brand America be sensible? Yeah, it's obviously a very interesting question and uh, a significant proportion of our business will uh, soon be in, in the US. Um, I think it's uh, not really taking into consideration the fact that we have a presence in nine markets and that we're already supporting uh, global retailers via one integration at checkout under the Zip brand. So mm -hmm. it's uh, you know very likely that we'd rebrand the other way. Yeah, um, and the interesting thing is Zed is actually very good in advertising and marketing, as I'm sure someone's explained to you along the way. Yeah, the, the, the marketing people certainly have their own language, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, apt name for our business. We are a fast-moving uh, business, and uh, you know, it's, it's very likely that uh, you know, one global brand would be, would be Zip. What's the reaction of, on the subject of fast-moving, the uh, Nick Kyrgios ads? Uh, I have a laugh every time I see it. It seems very appropriate. Yeah, it's got some very strong traction uh, in market. Uh, my, my daughters are singing the song around the house, which I'm not sure is, is a great thing. But uh, you know, it's, it's been very well received by by those brand ambassadors, and uh, you know, more than one in two Australians now recognise the Zip brand, and this goes some way to supporting uh, that, that penetration. I'm not going to ask you whether there's a, there's a double message there, but it does seem to me when, I, when you read, should I zip it? Most people say, yes, Nick, you should. But of course, you mean, should I use Zip to buy something? Clearly, you wouldn't mean anything more than that. Absolutely nothing to that. Nick, Nick's, uh, Nick, Nick was great to work with and a great ambassador for the brand. Yeah, without a doubt. The fact that what I'm talking about is a, is exactly a case in right. point. Now, I, I wrote about you guys on May 29 um, and put you in my Zip group of stocks. And you're up 137% since then, which shows you not only how good you are, but how good I am. Um, 
how come? What, what has the company done over that near 12 months to justify that improvement in share price? Yeah, I think the big call out, and, and well done on your prediction, I think the big call out is clearly the, the completing the acquisition of QuadPay, mm. um, you know, in the largest addressable opportunity for buy now, pay later, uh, off the back of, you know, some of the momentum from, from the pandemic. Um, the quad business really has accelerated significantly. It's the fastest growing uh, buy now, pay later business in the US. Um, it's delivering very strong growth in terms of its transaction volume, customer numbers, and it has the strongest unit economics. So I think what we've seen is some, uh, some big, big competitors come in, which really is validating the opportunity for us. That mm. will increase the size of the opportunity. So very early days in, in the largest uh, market opportunity. Yeah. I think also we've continued to deliver some outstanding results in the Australian business, not only in terms of customer growth, but also in the performance of the receivables. Okay. Is it the same as Zip? Does it do exactly the same? We have a slightly different consumer-facing proposition in the US. It is a pay-in-for product, which would largely be similar to the competitive peer set, but it is uh, spreading, uh, allowing consumers to spread uh, the cost of their purchases over instalments on an interest-free basis. So very similar in terms of benefit provided to the consumer. Okay. Um, its share of the US market at this point in time? Yeah, I think uh, overall as a sector, uh, is, uh, it's very early stages in terms of that, that journey to market maturity. The, the whole sector probably has about 2% um, of all online spend. I think many, many, many analysts have that getting as high as 20%, so yeah. very early stages in terms of the runway. Um, probably slightly lower in terms of uh, customer numbers than, uh, than some of the competitive peers such as Kleiner and Afterpay who uh, obviously were in market uh, much earlier than, than us, but I think what we're seeing is that uh, we're delivering much stronger levels of engagement for our existing customers. The QuadPay app is really uh, delivering a level, level of virality that the competitive peers are, are yet to uh, deliver. Is it a New York-based business originally, and, and is, it, is it stronghold New York still? Yeah, two Aussie founders, so uh, oh, really? obviously, uh, you know, very close connection to, to the founders. We are um, building a, a coalition of founders as part of our, our global strategy of expansion. Mm. Uh, it is headquartered in New York and has a very strong presence there, but uh, it does have a, a disintermediated workforce all across the US. Mm, okay. Um, the size of the US market, you've said 2%, but is 2% of the US market numerically more than our more advanced market? Yeah, so I think that 2% is of online spend only. We, we as a business have uh, strong strategic ambitions of also penetrating offline spend and that's largely uh, speaking um, some of the strategic initiative behind Tap and Zip and the Nick Kyrgios uh, sort of program that we, we touched on. So that's for online spend, which probably is, is a component of a $3 trillion retail opportunity that we believe we can uh, penetrate. Okay. Um, why, why has the US market been so slow compared to the Australian market? Well, I think if you looked at uh, the adoption at the same stage of market maturity, it's probably actually growing quicker than the Australian market did. Mm. I think uh, Australia obviously was exposed to, to buy now, pay later probably a few years ahead uh, off the back of uh, interest-free and uh, you know some of the initiatives that Jerry Harvey had been running for decades. So oh, okay. we certainly were uh, you know, significantly advanced with our exposure to what was early formed buy now, pay later. So I think that's part of the reason that we, we, we adopted it so quickly. But importantly, we are seeing similar trends away from traditional credit products such as credit cards on a global basis, so it is not just localised to Australia. Has Jerry ever asked for a clip of the ticket as a consequence of you praising his efforts? No, he, he hasn't. He did, he did, him and Katie did drive a, an interesting hard bargain when we uh, sort of uh, finally got integrated to their checkout, but yeah. no, uh, strong supporters of the business. Okay. So how long have you been with Harvey Norman? 
Uh, we went live with uh, Harvey Norman in December 2020, and uh, which was a great outcome oh, for, yeah. for Zip. So they're mm. obviously one of the more prestigious uh, retail partnerships that we could deliver in Australia, and uh, that's been complemented uh, recently with JB Hi-Fi also going live. Oh, okay. So the potential in the US, and OS, you, you threw in there that you're in nine different countries. Uh, just talk to us about how you're doing in, the, in those other countries, but then also the US potential. Yeah, so I think just talking to the US first, it is the, the critical market for us. If we want to have a global business, uh, we need to be very successful mm. in the US. So uh, all, all the other initiatives would not come at the expense of capitalising on, on the US opportunity. So very early stages, uh, very heavily focused on executing on that. But also very live to the fact that, uh, you know, the trends that we've seen in Australia and the US are, are global trends and this shift by younger generations of consumers away from traditional credit products and banks is truly a global phenomenon. So we have the ability to, to leverage our relationships through retail partnerships, which delivers implied levels of trust for consumers. Mm. And uh, you know, we're able to sort of acquire those customers at checkout and then uh, bring them into the Zip ecosystem. So we uh, have the opportunity to support some of our, our truly global partners uh, in multiple jurisdictions. And I think uh, one of the competitive advantages that we have as a truly global business is the ability for our partners to plug into multiple jurisdictions via one integration. Mm, okay, so can you give us an example of a partner that benefits from their, their association with you guys? So we've recently launched uh, with the Hut Group, so a, a truly global uh, re retail conglomerate and they will go live in six markets via one integration within the next three months. Okay, when, when we hear about, oh, by, by the way, how's the UK market going? So the UK, it's, it's no secret, we're a little bit slower uh, in, in 2020 off the back of uh, some challenging external conditions. Uh, we've recently- well, the, the whole country's been locked up for nearly a year, hasn't it? That would be the one. Uh, we are now starting to bear fruits for some of our, our resilience and persistence through that period. Um, Anthony Drury is a terrific leader. Um, we have gone live with uh, a number of uh, enterprise level partners such as JD Sports and Boohoo. So we, we would expect some uh, meaningful transaction and customer numbers coming through in this quarter. We've also secured an exclusive relationship with Homebase. So I think it's still very early stages in terms of the opportunity there too. All right, and come Wimbledon time, do you think you'll roll out Nick Kyrgios? You might get a lot of free publicity. <laughs> well, uh, we, we, we can't give away all our secrets at this <laughs> stage, Peter. Okay, right, yeah. Um, NASDAQ listing, let's go back to that. If you decided to do it, why would you do it? What would be the benefit of being listed on the US stock market? Yeah, so we're always interested in exploring opportunities that deliver good outcomes for Zip and its shareholders. And I think, think the way to consider this one is uh, obviously an increasing percentage of our overall business uh, will be in the US in the very near future. I think in the annex reported results, it's likely it'll be more than 50% of our overall revenue. Mm. So I think to capitalise on that exposure, uh, the, the different probably lens that uh, US investors have on, on fintechs and valuations, it would make a lot of sense to explore that opportunity mm -hmm. and uh, you know, capitalise on uh, the, the penetration and I guess the, uh, the location of the majority of our volume. Yeah, I've never thought about this, but I guess it's a relevant question. What, what percentage of the funding of your business is debt related and what percentage is capital? So the beauty of our business is that the majority of the, the debt funding is via off-balance sheet uh, warehouses and securitisation vehicles. So mm. there's sort of a minimal um, component required at the bottom in terms of the funding that we're required to tip in. Mm. So these are very scalable vehicles. Mm. I think to, to uh, at a high level, about 5% of the overall funding requirement is uh, required to be funded by either Zip or, or Junior Notes. So mm. it's pretty 
pretty efficient on the capital cycle. We, we recently went to market um, in, in March and uh, completed a $500 million issuance um, from our, our master trust and that was very well received and oversubscribed uh, with a minimal component of, of that required requirement to be supported. By and, I, and I guess the, the bottom line, the, the very nature of the business that any debt you in, encounter effectively is can be paid back really quickly if you wanted to pay it back, but you just roll on to new, to new business with you. Yeah, exactly right. So none of the off-balance sheet warehouse uh, funding is secured by Headco, so it's all uh, secured by the receivables that sit um, under those transactions. And, and as you touched on, uh, it's a highly capital efficient business uh, with the capital being recycled um, every three months, yeah. uh, you know, globally. So um, the repayments from the consumers do, do pay that back very quickly. Okay, I know you and Larry aren't um, prone to worrying much about your business, um, but in March when everything was just unbelievable, were you, were you saying to yourself, well this is going to be a really good pressure test of how well our customers actually make their payments? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, 12 months ago we were certainly staring into a slightly different scenario yeah. to what we are now and you know, it's interesting, um, you know, on the, on the ZIP journey, one of the questions you're always asked by debt funders is, uh, you know, how will you survive in a cycle? Mm. Um, you know, no credit business has been tested recently, so we sort of really looked forward to that challenge. Mm. Um, I think was coupled with that was obviously where was new business volume going to come from, but remained relatively confident um, in the investment we'd made in our underwriting platform with regard to the performance. And um, as we just touched on the capital efficiency of the business, the changes we made to our risk tolerance um, upfront quickly flowed through the receivables. So uh, we've, we've stood up with flying colours right. and uh, in, in essence our, our net bad debts have actually decreased in the last 12 months, which is an outstanding result. So does that mean that you and Larry put together a really attractive Christmas card for Josh Frydenberg? Uh, <laughs> well, did you neglect it? Did you forget how important he was to the whole future of all businesses? Yeah, I think we, we were very supportive of the initiatives the government put in place to yeah. support the economy. But uh, largely speaking, we're, we're, we're probably more silent on the political front than uh, you know competitive or traditional financiers. Yeah. That's a great excuse for ignoring a guy who helped you out. <laughs> all right, but I, must admit, I didn't see my card either, and I should have. All right, so the likely future and the opportunities for the business. Yeah, very bullish about the future. It's a, it's a great time to be in BNPL. Uh, we're delivering very strong growth metrics in, in Australia, very early stages into the opportunity in the US with very, very strong momentum uh, across the board. A slightly differentiated revenue model is really paying dividends with regard to uh, you know, the outcomes. Uh, very live to the opportunity, uh, truly globally. So, uh, you know, have very, very strong ambitions to uh, build a truly global business within the next two to three years. Yeah. And the fact that all the central bankers are telling us that interest rates are going to be on hold to 2023, 2024. Is that a really good thing for your business? I think it's an indication that uh, there's probably a little bit of period of stability with regard to you know, some of the question marks that might be raised uh, more broader in the economic community. I think uh, you know, our customers are moving away from interest-bearing products in, in, in sort of the, the premise anyway. But I think it, it's certainly a, a good position for us with regard to our, our debt requirements and yeah. uh, obviously maximise the outcomes that we can receive. Because in there. a sense you have an interest rate cost of some kind. And Absolutely. The lower it is, the easier it is for you, isn't it? That's right. Um, the threats, what are, what are the things that you most worry about? You've got plenty of hair, so you're not worrying too hard. Well, it's a little bit grey than when I first met Larry, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, look, I think it's just uh, our ability to execute and maintaining the strong momentum. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not necessarily a threat or something I'm afraid of. It's more what I'm focused on every day is um, us maximising the terrific opportunity that we have before us. Mm, okay. Um, 
Are there any better questions I should have asked if I was a much better interviewer? No, I think broadly speaking we covered a bit of ground there. Okay. Um, and it's interesting to know that my Zeet stocks were up 44% since I wrote. Wax were up 41%, so right. you're in the winning group, mate. Okay. And we beat ASX with only 22%. There you go, destroying them. That's all right, destroying them. Pete, thanks for joining us. Good on you. Thanks, Peter. Peter Gray, CEO at Zip Co. Well, joining me now is Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. Adam, thanks for coming to the program. Yes, not a problem. Anytime. Okay, so why don't we just start, you know, cut, cut straight to the chase. And I noticed that you guys have recently upgraded Altium. So what, what's your thinking behind that? Yeah, we've done some back testing, Peter, on this one. And it's, it's an interesting call because obviously tech has been out of favour for the last three, maybe even six months now. And we've sort of seen this rotation out of tech into value. Now, potentially we're seeing that that might now start to move from more value orientated stocks into the more sort of high growth tech stocks. And one of the ones is Altium, because I think Altium's got some really strong fundamentals and it is leveraged to that sort of growth in the economy. And it basically we've upgraded it to a buy here at Shore and Partners. Mm. Um, we've, we're basically seeing that we've back tested it back from the global financial crisis back in 2008. And looking at the revenue through that financial crisis time, and then we see now moving forward to 2021, we see a real inflection point in that revenue again. So we're just now upgrading it. I think there's a more positive outlook on the economy and obviously the recovery from COVID as well does look good. We've lifted our price target by 2.2% to $34. So this is a great business. It's one that's been unfairly beaten up. And I think in in due time, it should do well as well. So, yeah, we've, we've got to buy on that one. Okay, mate. Now, um, you've also got views on both Kogan and JB Hi-Fi. Um, let's start with Kogan because Kogan was a darling during the uh, coronavirus lockdown period, then has gone off the boil. H has it gone too far off the boil or is it is the market getting it right? Yeah, it seems like it, it just seems to be sort of re-energising re re yourself, I guess. And look, these these stocks, you know, Kogan as well as JB Hi-Fi have been one of the biggest pandemic winners uh, moving in the opposite direction. Sorry, biggest pandemic winners now, but moving in the opposite direction now to where the ASX is moving. These e-tailers or retailers are among, you know, they've all got cash stimulus, people are working from home, they're having to upgrade their screens, their computers and those kinds of things. But Kogan today shed around about 3.8%, hitting a sort of 11-month low today, and that's extended from its Friday sell-off. And then also JB Hi-Fi remains a little bit in the in the doldrums as well. The company came down to a six-week low today, as well as then um, you know a, a couple of uh, research houses cutting it from a buy to a hold. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really interesting to see how the froth now is starting to come out of these retailers, and potentially if that stimulus money isn't going to continue on. They might just revert back to the mean. Where that mean is, I'm not too sure. But G. Kogan's had a fantastic run, so it's good to see people taking some profit. Okay. So is it time to buy Kogan for a six-month or a 12-month play? And, and by the way, on the subject of JB Hi-Fi, the market has often marked JB Hi-Fi down, but when it comes to reporting season, they then realise they should have bought it. because, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. what's your view? I think it's a little bit early on Kogan. I mean, we've seen Temple and Webstar 
We've also seen uh, the other retailer, the name escapes my escapes me at the moment, but they've also uh, oh Redbubble. Um, they've they've been hit pretty hard on, on the back of this, and there's just a little bit of froth coming out of it. I think Kogan, you'd wait. I think you know it would be wise potentially to wait till they report even though it's going to be a good report because of all of that post-COVID stimulus still coming through, I think that, you know, you'd, you'd want to see those numbers. I'd want to get a clear indication on how the business is going. But certainly, you know, Kogan's diversified into energy. They're really sort of, they're, they're, they're moving that business uh, a, a long way. I just feel that you're probably well worth waiting at the time. If you didn't buy it on the way up, you certainly don't want to catch a falling knife now. And I want to see that sort of start to normalise the share price, start to move sideways for a while before we dip our toe in. Yeah, and I, I guess you know people listening to this who might have been thinking, well, I'm going to keep JB Hi-Fi and particularly Harvey Norman for the dividend. They might start saying, well, the dividend might not be as much as I could lose in capital gain. That's the kind of equation you always have mm. to think through, isn't it? Agree, agree. And earnings, obviously dividends are a function of earnings or profitability. Mm. So if the profitability isn't there, the dividends will get crunched a lot quicker than you'll see the share price moving as well. Okay. Uh, I asked you to look at a couple of companies that we were asked questions about in our Boom Doom Zoom show last Thursday. <laughs> and one is Unity Group. I don't know if I've, if I've talked to you about this before, but... I know I, I, I taught the, um, the CEO, Vaughan Bowen, many years ago. And, of course, he started M2 and did very well out of that. Uh, what's your view on Unity Group? I think it's a great little cracker of a business. You look at that share price and you look at that chart and it just looks absolutely fantastic. So I, I'm really comfortable with uh, Unity. Uh, you know, obviously, their, their, their first half results that came out were certainly f fantastic, basically, going forward. I mean, EBIT was up. Uh, uh, free cash flow was higher. Everything was looking good. Um, the business is has been dominated by their core fibre infrastructure business, and that's something that you need to be sort of aware of. And that, I think that's Velocity, that business, and that came from Telstra. So there's things that you need to sort of be aware in there. But obviously, they're you know these kind of companies do grow by acquisition, and if it's a growth by acquisition, then that's something that you need to be very very mindful of because then you've seen Vocus the likes. Where they over they over buy and then they have indigestion. They can't sort of go, you know get all these businesses down the side of things. But look like the acquisitions that they've done: UWL, uh, Opticom, Harbour ISP, and that Velocity business are looking to be very very positive for the story going forward. So I actually like this one. I recommended it a couple of weeks ago as a buy, and people kept saying to me, "How can you uh, represent this as a buy when this chart is going sort of parabolic?" and and again, it still looks like it could be, you know, sort of fairly fully valued here. But if these guys can keep those numbers moving uh, and, and those EBITDA numbers moving, the chart will look exactly the same. Share price moves on earnings, and that's exactly what's happening. Okay, let's go to the next one, which I don't know much about, and that's Archtis AR9. Okay. What do you know about them? Yeah, you threw a little bit of a curveball uh, to me on that one uh, today, Peter. I think it was certainly one of those ones that I didn't know a lot about either. But it, it, it's a business where uh, you basically are able to pass data through between two organisations safely. So it's an interesting business because obviously cyber security is huge and that's something that I think would, 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 would be very, very good going forward uh, for businesses. So, yeah, it, it's one of those ones. I, I did a bit of reading on it. Obviously, they're, they're, they're you know, negative EBITDA at the moment. Um, 
My only concern with the business is, is that they are looking at the Department of Defence in the US here in Australia. They look at these sort of big Boeing companies and those kinds of things. They're always taking a long, long, long time to get those contract wins. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like this stock will trade by appointment. In other words, if they make a good announcement, the stock will rally. It'll then come back down again. And then if there's no more announcements, it'll just move sideways to lower. So I'd be really cautious about this one. I think, you know, there's probably better places to put your money, but the idea is right. And what you need to see is annual re revenue, uh, re recurring revenue, ARR. And if that number's moving higher, then, then I'm really happy with the business. So yeah. it's just one of those ones I think I'd be cautious on at the moment. If they do get a decent win, a good defence contract, you can pro you'll miss maybe 10% of it, but you could buy it after that with a little bit more certainty of earnings. Okay. Adam, thanks for joining us. See you in a couple of weeks' time. Anytime. Take care. Well, next to the program is Paul Rickard. He's looking at a company called Newix. And I should point out that when Newix listed, it just went through the roof. And my colleague, Paul Rickard, was fairly cynical about the magnitude of that rise. But it's interesting to see that he's now considering whether it's a buy. Paul, am I right in saying you were a bit cynical about Look, that? Look, I was a bit cynical, Peter, because it, uh, it did an IPO last December at $5.31. And the first day it went to something like $8.00. And by January 25, I think it was, this year was trading at $11.25. Yeah. That's a pretty good IPO, and yeah. that gave it a market cap of over a couple of billion dollars. It was mm. no small company. Yeah. Uh, but uh, by the February, uh, when it came out with its uh, first half-year result for the first six months, and then following last further trading update last week, where it sort of threw out its prospectus forecast, <laughs> It's back at four dollars and forty-six cents. So that's a pretty meteoric rise to be five thirty-one on listing, go up to eight dollars, go up to eleven dollars and twenty-five, and in the space of a few months, be back yeah. at four dollars and uh, and forty-five cents. And some, so many people would be saying, okay, well, it listed at five dollars something, it's now four dollars something. Gee, it must be getting close to a buy. Look, and that's where I sort, sort of come at to. I mean, Newix is in, involved in investigating. It's, it's software that. Uh, a lot of lawyers, um, a lot of regulatory bodies used to analyze reams and reams of unstructured data. Mm. And what I mean unstructured data, let's say for example, you want to go back and uh, look at all your employees' emails, right? That's unstructured data because yeah. it's just in a file sitting there and see whether anyone's involved in anything they shouldn't be. Yeah. This is the type of software that you would get to use to analyze, you know, I won't say whether it's Trillions or gillions or whatever comes after yeah. whatever the number is, Peter. Yeah. But it's so much data in so many different file formats uh, and come up with an answer. So, so it trawls through stuff it trawls and through answers data. your yep. questions. Yep. And, it, and its major uses are things like um, investigating accountants, uh, the major regulators like ASIC, the US uh, Securities and Exchanges Commission. It sounds like a really good business. The US Department it? of Justice. It has some pr a pretty sort of Amazon has some marquee clients up there, uh, more than a thousand clients globally. Hmm. Um, it's an Australian company. Most of its revenues come out of the States, but uh, it claims to have some of the best software. It's the fastest. It can analyse the most number of different file types and, uh, and provide a, you know, a, a pretty in informed answer to uh, you know, the questions that people are having. And, and to be honest, it's in sectors that have got pretty strong tailwinds because we know the volume of data is just increasing yeah. and uh, we also know cyber threats cyber and, threat and all the rest of it. Mm. So um, a lot of tailwinds. Uh, it's done well over many years, started in, in about 2005, first went to the States in 2007. So mm. it's not a, a Johnny come lately. 
And perhaps the biggest selling feature had Peter was I know that, you're saying, yeah, Matt McQuarrie that Macquarie uh, were its major shareholder. Now they yeah. invested in the company back in 2011. Focus of the no? future. They're very uh, patient investors, and uh, at the time of the IPO, held 76 percent. Sorry, just over 70 over 70 percent. And uh, I know the Macquarie people very well, and they're very astute investors. Now. Yeah. It was a sell-down, so Macquarie sold down from about 70% down to 30%. So it's still got 30%. It's still got company. 30%, and that's escrowed, but, and that does come out of, that means they can't trade it, but it does come out of escrow in about four months' time. Hoo-ha. And is that a bit of a worry, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a worry. I mean, I, I think Macquarie w would be very conscious of that, yeah. uh, and there's a couple of other investors who have smaller amounts, mm. but um, it is a bit of a worry. I mean, you've got to always query why, when you own 70% of something, do you sell most of it out? Oh, we want the money. And, uh, you want money, but um, maybe you think also the business is just down, is almost at its peak. Yeah. Uh, and so that was why when I saw the market up on $8 on the first day, I, I could not believe Macquarie could misprice an asset by 60%, yeah. Yeah, right? That's point. what it was saying. Yeah. And that just doesn't happen. So yeah. I'm not surprised it's come back, Peter. It's come a lot lower than I thought. And uh, look, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in what it does. I'm a believer in the industry. I think it's a pretty good business. Um, it's starting to sound like a member of the monkeys. I'm yeah, a I mean, my, 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 my <laughs> wariness is, as I said, A, there's still a bit of stock that could come out in yeah. four months' time and after that. And secondly, we've sort of had the two downgrades, and we know things typically come in threes. Yeah, <laughs> so, so that's a bit hard. And then thirdly, you know, and this is what Tony Featherston pointed out in, in the Switzer report, is that the history of, you know, IPOs or floats that do spectacularly well and then disappoint on their first occasion, mm. is they do it pretty tough. And it's not just tough for a few months, it's generally tough in the market for 12 to 18 months. No. The market can be pretty un unforgiving because um, a lot of investors and analysts and, and you know, put money in, saw the price go up, yeah. and then now it's disappointed. And they don't, you know, it takes a long time to rebuild credibility. So they're the negatives. Yeah. But I think for a long-term tech play, mm. you know, whether 445 is the right price and it goes down to three dollars first, I don't know. But I think it's I think it's worth having a look at around yeah. these prices. Yeah, I think you're right, Paul. That this looks like a stock that you can easily invest in now. You might get it wrong for six months, but in one, two, three years' time, you'd be pretty happy because I I don't think Macquarie is going to be a, um, willing to. Damage its, 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 yeah, its I, I, reputation I, I, by selling out as soon as they can. And, and they've kept a seat on the board. One thing I know about the Macquarie guys, they're very patient, they're yeah. very long-term investors. And uh, as I said, they didn't come into this the last year. They've, they've been on the 10 years they invested. Yeah. You know, you can understand why you wouldn't want to, might want to bank a bit of profit. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure that they're still great believers in the company. So, yeah. And a lot uh, of stocks suffer because there's a rotation at the moment where the big fund managers are chasing the momentum plays. You know, we've seen it with Julia Lee today. She likes Altium again. A lot of people, and yep. Adam Shaw and partners like Altium again. They're going to do well because the momentum's going that way. But I, I suspect the stock down the track will be liked again. The share price will go up. And let me add, if you want to read more about Newix, go to the Switzer Report. Uh, Paul's got a story in there today. And as you can see, he's a very, very insightful fellow.